This is a Color Pencil Podcast, session number 57. Today, we are talking to Maria Spear. She specializes as an attorney in intellectual property law. She also helps artists protect and preserve their intellectual property. She's very knowledgeable with regard to copyright and trademark. And we talk a lot about fair use in this interview. After the interview, I was in communication with Maria, and she did something really nice for us. She put together two contracts, an artwork purchase agreement. The second one is a commissioned artwork contract. If you have a need for any one of these uh, couple of contracts here, all you got to do is go to the show notes page. There's a link set up for you, and if you just use the code SHARPENEDARTIST, uh, you'll get $15 off of either one of those contracts. So thank you very much for, to Maria for doing that. Really appreciate that. All right, guys, enjoy the show. Welcome to Sharpened Artist, a colored pencil podcast where we discuss in detail all things in and around colored pencils and the colored pencil artist. And now your hosts, Lisa Clow and John Middick. Hello, my name is John Middick, and I am joined by my co-host, Lisa Clow of Lockery Fine Art. What's up, Lisa? I have nothing again. I'm going to prepare something next week. I'm going to have need, some... Yeah, right. Take notes. There you go. Come on, yeah. keep up. All right. <laughs> so this is a show about the art of colored pencil where we discuss tips, techniques, shortcuts, and anything and everything related to colored pencil and the artist. So Lisa, who are we talking to today? We are talking to Maria Spear, who is a lawyer, and she's going to be going over copyright laws with us. Maria, thank you very much for joining us today. We really appreciate that. Absolutely. My pleasure. Now, can you tell us what type of uh, law do you practice? And tell us a little bit more about yourself. Sure. I, um, I have my own law practice here in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, and I practice in the area of intellectual property law. So that covers um, copyright, trademark. Um, I do some technology work with software um, and terms of use. Those little things on the websites that everybody says that they've read that nobody reads. Um, right. and, um, and some general business, um, advising to, you know, I, I, I call some of my clients creative entrepreneurs. So, um, photographers, artists, folks who are setting up a business, but just want to go on creating and don't want to think about the business side. Great. Okay. Well, I guess we should start with laying the groundwork here. What exactly is a copyright? Sure. A copyright, so copyright law as a whole in the U.S. Uh, protects creative works. So think music, paintings, drawings, photographs, uh, motion pictures, architectural works are actually considered creative works, uh, things like that. And copyright is often referred to as a bundle of rights. So um, if you own the copyright to something, you are the only person that has those bundle of rights. So the right to sell a creative work, to reproduce it, 
to um, distribute it, perform in the case of, you know, a song or uh, a recording, um, and to prepare derivative works based on the original work. Okay, okay. So today, I mean, we're talking to fine artists and illustrators. So what do they have to do once they create a piece of art and, you know, and they make prints or whatever? They own that copyright, correct? Correct. You do not have to register a work with the Copyright Office in mm-hmm. order to have copyright ownership. You own the copyright the moment that uh, the work is fixed in a tangible form of expression, which is a fancy way of saying the moment it's transferred from your brain to a piece of paper or a canvas, you own the copyright to that work. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Um are there any benefits to registering uh, the copyright with the Absolutely. copyright offices? Yes. Okay. So, so that's a good question because even though you're not required to register something with a copyright office, there are a lot of benefits to registering. Um, so it establishes a public record of the ownership, the, the, the author or the artist's ownership of that work. Um, and if a work is registered within five years of its publication, then the owner has, um, if there were ever a lawsuit filed, you know, knock on wood, um, the owner then has a presumption of ownership, meaning you don't have to prove that you own it. The other side has to prove that you don't own it. I know that's kind mm-hmm. of a, a blurry um, concept, but, um, you know, if it's not registered, you kind of have to overcome that hurdle of, yes, this is mine. Here is, you know, the computer file that has this metadata and shows that I saved it on such and such date. Or this is why um, I've heard a lot the myth of, well, if I mail it to myself, um, is that considered a copyright? It is so common. People think this. Um, And I've heard that one a lot. Yes. I guess, you know, it shows um, the date that it was mailed, you know, once it runs through the post office. So it's, it's, it's functional for that purpose. It shows that it went through the mail on this date, but in terms of, you know, when was it created or when was it published? Um, copyright registration is kind of the best way to go through there. And then there are other things like you can, if you register with the copyright office, um, you can register the work with us customs. So you can protect against, um, infringing copies being imported, there oh, are that's good to know. Mm-hmm, absolutely. But that's like 35 bucks, is that right, to register Correct. the copyright? Yes. Uh-huh. It, 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 well, it depends. So $35 if the – generally, if the owner is the one that is also the author, okay. which sometimes, you know, if you're an employee working for, um, you know, maybe a graphic design company and part of your mm-hmm. job is to create kind of artistic works – then most likely they actually belong to the company, the employer. Um, and then if it's, if it's the company or employer registering the work, it's a $55 uh, registration fee. But you're correct. It's $35 per work otherwise. Okay. It's really expensive if you've got hundreds yeah, of I mean, Yeah, I mean, in a year's time, I mean, we're talking about around $1,700 if you create a piece of art every week like Lisa does, for instance. Yeah, I, I, I'm, you know, I'm trying to weigh that in my mind. I mean, I can see why people don't, you know, register um, right. just because of that. And you can register multiple work works involved. together if you're selling them together. So say mm-hmm. you're selling 
um, you know, you have a few uh, prints or or drawings that you've done and you're selling them in a series of postcards or note cards, you can register those in one application. And that would be $35 per or for the whole? How does that work? Because, I mean, let's say practically – all of my paintings, I could say, you know, these ones all have whales on them, so here's a set, and I could make <laughs> postcards with them. It'd be cheaper for me to do that than to register them all individually. How do you – it seems like there would be so many loopholes to figure out with something like that. Interesting. I've never had someone bring that up, but that's a very interesting point. You know, say just for just for propriety's sake, you say, okay, these all kind of have a common theme. I'm going to offer them for sale as a set – and then, yes, if they're offered for sale to the public. Now, does that mean set. the originals have to go as a set? Because the originals, I would obviously not sell. That's a large set. No one's yeah. going to buy all at once. Yeah, but. now that is a question. I mean, the originals versus the digital copies. What what are the differences there? So, so when you're registering something with the copyright office, you have to submit what's called a um, – it's not a specimen. It is a deposit copy. You kind of have to submit the best representation of the work. So nowadays, I've pretty much always done this online unless it's a movie or some huge file that can't be transferred through the Copyright Office's website. Gotcha. So even if you even if you are not submitting the original, I would think a photograph or PDF or JPEG mm-hmm. file of the original um, is sufficient, at least for, for registering it with the Copyright Office. So so long as a print mirrors what you're submitting as your deposit copy, mm-hmm. um, you should be because fine. Because then the print is so, the derivative. Let's say I decided, you know what? All of 2015 was a set because it's all of <laughs> 2015. I mean, it seems – I know, I know I'm, I'm being manipulative in this. I'm just kind of doing the devil's advocate. Like, how do artists avoid – like, or, you know, is there a way to pra- – legally? I'm not trying to, like, skirt the law. I'm just trying to figure out legally right. how to best protect yourself without having to uh, – like John said, I've got a new piece every week, and I know there are a lot of us out there that do that. So I'm trying to – can I be like, okay, yes. 2015's a set um, – does that work? So this comes up a lot in the context of photographers and mm-hmm. bloggers and people who are just continually creating content. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, especially in the world of blogging, people just are daily sometimes yeah. um, creating new things. And right. there, there are two kind of points here. One is that copyright law hasn't quite caught up to the wonderful world of the internet. So The key is when was the work published? If the work was all published um, on the same date and by the same author, then they can be included in one copyright application. That's why if you're offering a set of note cards or posters or something for sale at once together. So the set, even though the individual paintings were created separately, if the set was all created the same day. Yes, if the set was published on the same day, not published created on the same on the day. Same day. Um, mm-hmm. And so this kind of definition of published is when a piece or a work is offered for sale, lease, or lending to the public. Now, blogs are kind of an interesting animal because they're this digital thing and um, the Copyright Office doesn't consider just putting something online for public display as publication. So if you put up a song or a video for online streaming, that's not considered to be published. It's very strange. 
But in terms of artwork, if you publicly display it or if you offer it for sale along with, you know, kind of back to that note card example, if they are all offered for sale publicly together, then you kind of get over that hurdle. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Now, that brings up the next thing, talking about videos. Let's say somebody does not file a copyright claim, but like in my case where I'm making videos of that, does that work legally as proof of I'm the creator, here I am in the video making the painting, you can see the date that it was uploaded? Does any of that help um, when coming into problems? Say again, so you are creating a video of yourself actually creating the artwork? Yeah, yeah a, a lot work of in progress that. video. Yeah, yeah, where you can see us in the video actually making the pro- the piece. Mm-hmm. So really you have two copyrights at play. You have a copyright to the video and you have copyright to the actual um, artwork. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I was curious, would the video work if you were – if you did end up with a copyright issue, would the video work – as a published date? Well, yeah, yeah, as proof of ownership and with the date ownership again. Ownership and, and the date, yeah. I mean, I it, w- about that. it would certainly be very persuasive evidence that you created <laughs> it if, if a video is showing you create it. Um, well, see, that's the interesting thing. I mean, we're, it, a lot of this is all hypothetical, isn't it, until it, it is a case, right? It's so interesting because, you know, a lot of, a lot of times, People will call me and want just an automatic answer. And I can <laughs> That's give. hard to give, isn't it? <laughs> it, yeah. it is because, I mean, a, a case can change on just one fact. And yeah. so the rules, you know, I can lay out the rules and say, well, generally the rule is this. And then we apply it to the factual situation and the answer is this. But, you know, one fact could maybe change the situation if someone is employed by um, some kind of company in the business of creating artwork or if someone mm-hmm. has been paid or has not been paid or if something ha- was in writing or wasn't in writing. It's, it's, it is kind of very um, fact dependent sometimes. Now, to that point right there, I mean, are you familiar with uh, Shepard Ferry and his use of the Obama uh, Hope image that he took from um, an AP uh, photographer Yes. Um, okay. Um, Can you talk to us about that? And does that tell us anything about, I mean, because here's the thing. We're using reference photos most of the time whenever we create our works of mm-hmm. art with, especially with colored pencil. And we're not always the one that is taking the photo. So sometimes we're getting a photo from online and getting permission for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, I, I just wondered about that particular case. That was settled out of court, right? If you can talk to us about maybe some of the implications of that. Yes, and it's kind of the perfect example of, so So Shepard Ferry used a photograph for that kind of iconic hope poster mm-hmm. of um, President Obama. And um, he sued uh, the Associated Press because it was accusing, the, the Associated Press was accusing him of copyright infringement for using one of its p- photographs as a basis for the poster. Mm-hmm. Um, now that case did end up settling after, uh, a few years, right. but essentially, uh, even though the settlement was confidential, both of both sides said neither of them is surrendering their legal position, but Ferry made the statement that he will not create another work without obtaining a license 
from a photographer in the future. So, so that's sort of an admission of guilt, a little bit. Yes. And there was an issue with him um, deleting documents, and which is very bad. And um, mm, so, mm. so it was clear that something was going on. Um, but yes, essentially, I mean, there was an AP photographer who took the photo and he mm-hmm. used that photo to create this piece of art. Now, fair use, um, fair use is a defense that says, even though this would ordinarily be copyright infringement, here's why it's not. And a court balances uh, many factors to determine whether something falls under fair use. There isn't just kind of one definitive answer that says, oh, yes, this is fair use, or oh, no, this Mm -hmm. is not fair use. Well, okay, so maybe we should segue into fair use a little bit. Are there any types of guidelines or anything that we can lean on, though, when we talk about fair use? There are. It's it's very tricky because it's a balancing test. So mm-hmm. there, there are four main factors when it comes to fair use. Okay. One is the purpose and character of the use. So that looks into whether it's a commercial use um, or for a nonprofit kind of educational purpose. So two would be the nature of the copyrighted work. And this kind of speaks to critique and review of... For, mm-hmm. for kind of scholarly purposes or, you know, um, a review of a book, a review of a film. Um, so is it a fictional or non-fictional use? Is it published versus unpublished? So if I'm reviewing a book and it hasn't been published yet and I'm publishing a bulk of original text from this book mm-hmm. and it hasn't been published yet, then that works against my favor because it kind of usurps um, the original work that hasn't been published yet. Okay, I got you. So if it has been published, then you might have a better argument that your excerpts are in fair use. Sure, for, for, for that one factor. Yeah, right. Um, so that's factor two. Factor three is um, the amount and substantiality of the original work that's used in the latter work. So again, was there, you know, a quick, uh, in the case of a, a song or a, a movie, was there a quick soundbite that was used? Um, was there a, was it the bulk of what was used? And I would guess in the Hope uh, Obama case, mm-hmm. you know, it was a photograph of the president's head and his work was that the outline and essentially photograph of the president's head. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. with some with some uh, yeah some creative uh, coloring, coloring on it yeah, uh, yeah. It, but you know and that's such a tricky thing though um go ahead and say number four and then i want to circle back to that for just a second then sure so the last factor is kind of the effect on the market for the original work is the value of the original affected by mm-hmm. the the latter work that makes sense so when a client comes to me and wants to know whether something is fair use, it's very hard for me to say yes or no. Because <laughs> a court has to balance all four of these Right. Things. It's so rarely just a very clear answer. Sometimes it's more clear, um, but it's uh, rarely a green light or a red light. Yeah. I mean, if you take any one of these, I mean, the burden of proof, uh, like for the effect on the market – Unless there's some profit, something is being profitable or it, there's some money exchange, that might be a hard thing to prove, I would think. Sure. And even if there isn't profit, 
you could be um, releasing somebody's artwork online for no profit, but mm-hmm. kind of the 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 case there would be well now you're devaluing my copyright now my copyright has right, no value right. because you have released it online for for free to the masses yeah and, and it so, has this ubiquitous nature now or something sure and that's, and that's what happened with that hope poster really so that's an interesting thing because um, who's to say that I mean if you look at an angle of of a of a subject like a person's head like Obama and you I don't know. You, I mean, you could make the argument that yeah, he he took his own reference photo. You know, although he never said that he mm-hmm. it, he pretty much admitted that he used that um, that reference photo. I don't know that it, that is such a an odd thing. Um, hmm. now, it is, and there, I guess you know, think about the many, many, many photographs there are of yeah. of Obama. You know, do you right. have to use? a photograph in order to create that work or can you, you know, through your own artistic mind, create an image of this person without having to reference something? You probably could. Most artists are going to say no. Most of us are going to be using reference photos. And the thing that I think was interesting about that case is he didn't copy it exactly. And this brings us into one of the things that we hear so (laughs) often, or it's one of the things people will ask me all the time. Well, I heard if I just change it 30%, 50%, 70%, that it's in the clear, then it's no longer violating copyright. People say that all the time. Yeah. And so it's kind of the same with this guy where they're thinking, you know, that obviously was not photorealistic. It's not something where you could look at it and say, absolutely, that came from this photo it was because it was very um pop art like i mean yeah. it didn't have the yeah, very it was stylized. not photorealistic whereas most yeah. of us especially the colored pencil artists we're photorealists so mm-hmm. ours it's going to be really obvious if we copied a certain photo there's usually not going to be much doubt in our case but no most artists do need that reference photo it's not something where we really if we're photorealists we've got to got to have a photo from somewhere and that percentage rule, um, quote unquote rule, is something yeah. <laughs> I hear in so many industries, and it's so wrong. Now, where, um, where did that come from? Why is it so prevalent? You know, I've heard it in the fashion industry. You know, if I change mm. a design by 20%, then it's not infringing. Um, I've heard it with regard to photography and art. There is no kind of percentage rule. You're right. The rule for copyright infringement is was it substantially similar to the original? Um, which again, mm. how is That's, what is substantial mm. similarity? But yeah. that is the that is the um, the legal term of art. It's is substantial similarity. Now, one thing that I, I, I guess I've read a lot about, and I guess it maybe speaks to this uh, percentage type issue as well. But uh, is that the copyright does not protect the ideas and the concept, but only a particular form in which they are expressed. Correct. So so that's a good point. Remember me saying that, um, or remember when I said that you own the copyright to your work the moment it is fixed in that tangible medium. Mm-hmm. So from when it goes when it goes from brain to paper. If it just stays in your brain, if you have an idea to create a piece of art that reflects, you know, a woman overlooking a river with a hat on and, you know, um, well, let's get a let's get of- really. Yeah, let's get really specific, though. Sure. Well, yeah. What if it's a woman overlooking a river with a hat on with uh, 
uh, a cat on, on top of the hat and a tiger yeah. standing <laughs> on one foot and, and a ball on his nose. And then someone else comes along and likes that idea and executes that. Yeah. You think after they've shared that idea, they've told someone else about it? Yeah, after it's mm-hmm. been published in some form or fashion. Now, so, is that an expression of a particular idea in in a tangible way i i guess i I, i'm having trouble even discussing it or is that just a concept and an idea so just just you speaking that idea out loud that is not fixing it in a tangible form right you're just sharing Mm -hmm. your idea sure right um so if someone if someone tomorrow creates a painting or a drawing depicting just what you've described first of all 10 of us could create a drawing that depicts what you described and it might look totally different, you mm. know, one to the next. Right. So, so that is why you're correct in saying, you know, you can have this idea, but without actually putting it to paper, it's not a protectable idea. And even if you do put it to paper, right. that substantial st- similarity still comes into play. So someone could create something with a woman wearing a hat and all of the elements you kind of described, but it does not look similar to the original in any way, shape or form. And it might not be considered copyright infringement. So you, okay. So you could be inspired by the idea and express it in an entirely new way, but you could admit, yeah, my inspiration came from that idea. Yes. Taking this a little bit further, then let's go into wildlife art, where somebody paints a painting of a tiger head and someone else paints a painting of, they're all going to look pretty much the same. So it's no one's going to be able to come and say, hey, I painted a tiger head. You can't paint a tiger head. Yes, right. Exactly. Painting a tiger head is kind of an idea. So unless it is, <laughs> <laughs> right? I, I, it, I'm it's sorry. A very, it's a very, <laughs> the idea versus expression dichotomy, mm-hmm. which is what it's called. It's it's something mm-hmm. that's discussed all the time because especially now when people are creating apps. And I mean, yep. that's kind of my go-to example is right. if you're familiar with Uber and Lyft. Mm-hmm. Right. Really the same idea. They have executed and kind of different ways and their branding and their names are different. But that idea by itself is not unique to either one of them. But to your, to your point about the tiger, the tiger head. Yeah. So another thing that um, especially photographers have to get into is, you know, what is protectable by copyright um, original artwork, um, original, uh, original expression of an idea. So mm-hmm. If it is so, if it's completely unoriginal, if there is nothing really to, if you're just looking at it, you know, you would have to get into the nitty gritty of what angle is the tiger facing? What shape are the ears, the coloring, the lighting? You'd have to break down those little elements and compare those little elements from the original piece of artwork versus the copy and say, okay, what copyrightable elements were we're at play here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So now you're talking about a photographer whose copyright has been violated by the use of a fine artist uh, taking their photo and, and painting from it or drawing from it. Sure. You need. Oh, is that? Or well, were you talking that was, about? I was still talking about that. that somebody copied okay, the painting, okay. but just because the tiger seemed easy because it's like you know it's a tiger yeah, yeah. they're all going to look the same. There are so but many I mean, ways you can draw a tiger, right? <laughs> 
But but we're talking about two copyrights here. The photographer has the copyright of their work, regardless of if it was a new idea or not, right? I mean, when they when they publish their photo, that's theirs. Right. When they publish their photo, it's theirs. But photographers mm-hmm. even kind of had to fight for, I mean, photography used to be considered not very, quote unquote, original in terms of artwork because... Mm-hmm. But it's recognized now as artwork, right? Absolutely, they, because yeah. the skill is in when to take the photo, the lighting, right. the angle. Those are kind of creative decisions that the author or the photographer makes. Yeah, absolutely. It is artwork, yeah. I, I, you know, there's just – there's a segment of artists that – well, I hesitate to say aren't aware of that. They, there are a lot of artists who have very little respect for the amount yeah. of work that goes into photography. Yeah, yeah. There yes. you go. And, I said it b- and more bluntly. And they'll take <laughs> – and they'll take, uh, yeah, works of, of art by these uh, photographers and just, you know, take them for their own. I'd like to actually throw out just a few more myths, and you can just say false <laughs> um, as I throw them out there if you want. Sure. So yeah. they're just things that I hear so often, or true if they're, they happen to be true. So, okay, we have fair use, where we've got a couple of things. We talked about teaching. When you say teaching, what exactly is that covered? Are we talking public schools? Are we talking somebody has a blog that they're teaching techniques on how to do something, but they took a photographer's photo to teach people how to do that? Or, you know, where where does that go as far as teaching falling under fair use? And again, I know you can't give us absolutes. Right. Um, it's hard to give absolutes. Um, teaching, I would say, you know, kind of educational would be, sure, teaching a course, teaching how to, you know, not just how to make this exact picture, but maybe how to make a specific stroke or use a specific technique, maybe, um, that, that could be considered educational. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, but an artist saying, okay, I found this awesome photo of this building. I'm going to take that and I'm going to, you know, do a tutorial showing people how to do it on my blog. It's technically educational, but (laughs) that would be educational, but also it's a little bit commercial because it is, it is for the purpose of getting, maybe for the purpose of this author or artist getting their name out there, getting students to watch this video, getting the video to have X amount of hits. And so maybe YouTube Mm -hmm. is paying them advertising revenue or something, or maybe it's bouncing back to that artist's website and driving traffic to the website. I mean, I could, I could argue commercial purpose there if I had to Mm -hmm. put it that way. Okay. How about parodies? Parodies. So parody falls under fair use. Um, I would say the purpose and character of the use, probably that first factor, so you, so that purpose and character of the use, you'd also think not just is it commercial or is it not commercial, but is it for criticism? Is it for news reporting? Is it for scholarship? Um, parody would be one. Now, now what, something that people don't really think about is there's a difference between parody and satire. Are they legal? Well, one of the, that's one of the four use four fair use factors. So it would depend on the other three whether those would be <laughs> gotcha. considered fair use. <laughs> oh, okay, so it could violate one of one of the other ones, right? And still pass for one of the three. So some of the things that I regularly hear is that I did a Google search, came up with this beautiful photo of fill in the blank here, and I painted from that. So I didn't violate copyright because I found oh. it on Google. 
And I changed it 20%. <laughs> um, I created my own work from it. My painting is original, so I did not create. Even though, you know, I copied another photographer's work, but it's my painting now, so I didn't violate copyright. False. Do I need to reword your that? Painting, your, pa- your painting is your copyrighted work, but but it's really a derivative of the original. So, so those so bundles, you can get in trouble. Right, you could get in trouble. The bundle of rights I mentioned includes uh-huh. the right to create derivative works, so a secondary work based on an original. And so creating a derivative work without asking the original author for permission is using one of those rights in that bundle without permission. So it's copyright infringement. Next thing I hear is I'm not selling it, so I'm not violating copyright. False. Uh, fan art. This is something that a lot of us do to practice. And some are selling it, some aren't. I know some studios encourage it, like Game of Thrones loves when people do fan art and they'll share it on all of their social media. <laughs> yeah, this is one of my favorites. Like, I'm suing you for all everything right now. Um, what can you tell us about fan art? Or the NFL. They don't take too kindly to that either. So, okay. So Disney is kind of notorious for exercising or claiming copyright in its characters. And characters are kind of a funny, um, funny area of the law because really no specific area of the law covers characters. It's like a hybrid of copyright and trademark. Um, but that is a very good question, um, especially with, um, like you said, Game of Thrones. There's Harry Potter. There's Twilight. There's you know, all kinds of folks. There are all the X-Men, people creating fan art because you have to think of what the original work is. So, okay, Game of Thrones. If you are creating fan art, well, I see kind of two areas here because Game of Thrones is a book first. The show is a derivative work based on that original work, um, which they are doing with George R. R. Martin's permission. So if a, if a piece of fan art copies from the show, I would say it's, that could be a little bit on, on the border of infringement. But if you're, if you're talking about the book and you're using your own imagination to create, you know, what did the dragon look like if you're creating a scene from your mind? I mean, really, that is so transformative that you are taking words that you have read and creating kind of a scene or a, an image of a character from your own mind. Yeah. That, well, that most m- of us or most artists who are doing fan art, they're going from the movies. So we'll fo- like, yeah, taking a, a still on that, taking, yeah, taking a still, That's taking a still from a video game of Thrones. I love doing yeah. it because they actually promote the artwork that was done of theirs. They like it. Game of Thrones is one. I'm trying to think of a few others who will share fan art done from their you know well i mean the, and that's an interesting thing i mean can the originator actually go through the millions of stills that <laughs> comprise the movie and you know or a video and say no this is you know this is um uh, my work right here i'm the original creator this was not transformative enough they could but honestly what game of thrones might be doing or whoever the copyright owner is they don't want to bite the hand that feeds them these are all right. fans. These are, yeah. This is getting the word out about the show. It's creating buzz. It would be almost foolish for it, it is not. It is not usurping the market for the television show. Nobody is going to buy artwork instead of. It's free advertising, is what it is. Yes, 
Yes. Yeah. It is. It, 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 it's kind of one of those, it's more of a business decision than a legal decision. Right, um, right. It seems like because it would not be smart of them to shut all of this down. Although there are lots of studios who will and have been known, well, Disney being one, um, who will have gone after artists who created stuff out of their movies. Right. Mm-hmm. So what would I your mean, advice was, be for an artist who is interested in doing fan art like this? My advice is when in doubt, always get a license. However, I mean, particularly in the case of basing it off of a movie or a television show, you're getting into a little bit of uh, that gray area of you might get in trouble. Mm. Um, but <laughs> this is such a gray area. <laughs> it really is. It really is. It just, uh, yeah. That, uh, I don't know. It, it, uh, there's some artists. There's... Here's the other thing. I'll have art. Like, I mean, it's one thing for Game of Thrones to say, sure, we are cool with you making artwork off our characters off of stills from our, our show. Just don't sell it. But when that person turns around and starts making prints of that original, what does that change things then? Then you get into, I mean, if you really want to go back into those fair use factors, then you're getting mm-hmm. into commercial versus non-commercial. Um, right. Cause that's really honestly what it comes down to. It's back to those same headache <laughs> factors for fair use. Commercial versus non-commercial, how transformative is it from the original? How much of the original are you using in the secondary work? Um, All of those things, because Mm -hmm. that's one little fact that's changing, maybe Uh kicking it out of your favor if you're selling it versus if you're just displaying it or maybe commenting on the original. Now, how about somebody, this is another one that I hear a lot. Um, or not even hear a lot, just that this is typical. Uh, when we're learning as artists, we copy other artists' artwork. And a lot of them will post it now on Facebook. It was different before Facebook because no one knew they were copying <laughs> you know, your work. But now because they're posting oh, it all over Facebook and it's clearly copied from another artist, but they, right. they're not selling it. They just did it to learn for themselves. How does, mm. What does that fall under? But they are posting it online because they're sharing, look what I created. Right. That, that act of sharing is kind of the thing. Because for your own personal educational use, I mean, if I were learning how to write by hand, I could open up a book, you know, Game of Thrones or Harry Potter, and copy word for word. You have And then taste. crumble it up and throw it away. And it's a personal, it, it, it is a private personal use. It's not a commercial use. There's no harm mm-hmm. being done. I'm teaching myself uh-huh. how to write, right? Yeah. But that act of kind of sharing it, especially where no credit is given, not that credit is a – just by giving credit, it doesn't absolve you from copyright infringement. That's um, a good point because I hear that. That's another one that I've heard a lot. As long as I give credit, then it's okay. Yes. Those YouTube videos you see Without where asking says, for I permission. Do not, I do not claim copyright in this video. Yeah. So basically what you're telling us is you know you're violating copyright, but you're going to do it anyway. <laughs> right. You're going to do it anyway, and I'm going to say that I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> That's another case for, uh, I think, the category number four of fair use, effect on the market. I mean, you're sharing a work that would be, I guess, derivative of the originator, and it kind of it kind of cheapens the artwork then of the originator, some could argue, I guess. Sure, you could argue that. Yeah. If you were, it, it, depending on what side you're on, you could argue that. <laughs> right, right. Are you familiar with this one, Maria? Uh, Richard Prince, he made 
prints of Instagram photos that other people had taken and sold some of the individual pieces sold for $90,000 and they were displayed in a gallery. Yes. One of the takeaways, I guess, for me is that you're, you're kind of handing over some of your uh, rights when you are posting a digital file of your work to uh, Instagram or Facebook. Yes. And it's important to, um, I guess now to mention that sometimes it comes down to be careful where you're posting things because Mm -hmm. I have heard um, another myth is if you post something to Facebook, then you're giving Facebook the copyright to your work. No, that's not correct. You're giving them a license. You're giving them use of it though. Yes. You're giving them permission. A license is more permission. It's not ownership. Mm-hmm. Um, but I believe with Richard Prince, who is kind of notorious for repurposing things, right. I believe the Instagram issue was had to came down to Instagram's terms of use because I believe Instagram's terms of use gave some kind of license once you post something to Instagram that your photos could be repurposed or used without your permission once you upload them to Instagram. I believe that. Was- yeah, that, yeah, that was my impression too, uh, with Instagram. And is it still I, that way? I thought it was. Has that changed? Now there's a difference between copyright and right of publicity. So if it was a photograph of a person, um, smiling and then, then that's a different issue. Mm-hmm. Well, these were figures. These were people. The right. ones that I saw. Yeah. So he is he going to be able to do the same thing with a photo of somebody's artwork? Well, I thought we just said that photography is artwork. So, so terms of use. You agree to the terms of use by using the platform. Yeah. So even if even if today I open Instagram and I don't affirmatively click yes, I agree. Just by using the app, I am agreeing. Hmm. So if you if you take a picture of your artwork and load it to Instagram and Instagram's terms of use say by using Instagram you give all other Instagram users a license to use your photographs loaded to Instagram for whatever purpose then folks can do just that. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. You know the funny thing about that though as much as artists are going to hear that and freak out and want to cancel their Instagram accounts, let's be realistic. If that happened to you, okay, first, yeah, I'd be I'd be irritated, not going to lie. But imagine the publicity you would get because of it. Because yeah, it would I mean, that's news. right, right. Like, that's the I mean, thing. I mean, we can be all uptight and we can go, you know, live in a, a shed out in a desert. I mean, that's, I don't know. If you're going to interact on these social media platforms, and there is some risk that you're going to take with any of that. Absolutely. And I don't know that that's exactly what Instagram's terms of use says. I yeah. have to go back and look, but, but absolutely. It's kind of that double edged sword. Well, you don't right. have to put your works on the internet. You know, people, people yeah. often ask the question, well, how do I protect my photos on the internet? It's so hard because someone can take a screenshot. Someone can right click and save. I mean, it's so right. hard. It's hard so, and it's kind of pointless too. Yes. You could just not put put your photographs on the internet, but then you kind of lose out on, you know, the right. potential portfolio being available to the public. So, which is, yeah, more I wouldn't be making a living if I didn't put my stuff online. So it's a risk, but it's a necessary yeah. evil in the yes. age that we live yeah. in right now. Still worth it though. 
So I just want to throw that out there because I know people are going to listen to that and go, oh, my God, oh, I'm yeah. taking my account. I'm taking all of this <laughs> Oh, I know, I know. Like, but they're all, they're all about the, the same. World, the mean, chances of it actually that specific happening to you, probably pretty low. Right. Yes. Right. You should read and familiarize yourself with the terms of any website where you're posting your artwork. I, I love reading terms of service. Uh, <laughs> I really do. I print them out and read them in bed. <laughs> I read them. I write them. It's, I like. Yeah, they make no sense to me. That's one of those things. I'm going through it, going, wait, what? <laughs> that seems because, and I think the thing that gets me is I want absolutes. When there aren't absolutes, yeah. that's where my brain is just like, no, no, we just don't understand anymore. Oh my goodness. One thing that I didn't get to mention when we were talking about the benefits of copyright registration, um, so the, so one benefit I didn't get to mention is remedies. So think of remedies as something that you ask for if a lawsuit is filed, or if you send a cease and desist letter, one of the things that you would ask for to kind of um, repay you or repair you from the damage that you've incurred. So if you have registered your works with the Copyright Office, there's the potential to recover your attorney's fees, which is a big thing, and the potential mm-hmm. to recover what are called statutory damages, which can range from $750 per work to $300,000 per work. Wow. So those statutory damages are huge. And even if something doesn't um, proceed to the lawsuit litigation stage, um, just sending a cease and desist letter and saying, hey, these, wor- these works are registered with the Copyright Office the attorney on the other side is going to automatically know, okay, if they filed a lawsuit, they would be entitled to attorney's fees and statutory damages. So let's not let this go to a lawsuit. Let's just settle and move on. Yeah, and, and your firm can aid an artist with this, right? Sure, absolutely. Now, here's one more question um, I, that I meant to ask earlier too. Okay, a lot of us are using photos from certain websites like Pixabay or Morgfile where we've been given permission by the photographers to use that in our photo and a lot of us are copying it pretty closely and changing the background little things like that but like let's say it's an owl we'll change the background but all of us are using the same owl head same angle same lighting all of that so mm-hmm. is that something that i mean obviously we're not going to come to this artist and say you drew the same owl but can we copyright our work at all being that we all have different backgrounds or there's something is there anything we can do because we're not the photographer either i mean the photographer holds the copyright to the owl itself that they, even though they've given us permission, but they're granting permission. Yeah, yeah. That, I wondered about that too. Is that transformative? That's a great question. So, so again, you'll want to look at the terms of use on that website. If you seek Creative Commons Zero license, um, that's a good thing. So, there are tons of um, I wouldn't even call them stock photo because they can really be beautiful photos mm-hmm. on some of these websites. I mean, Unsplash right. I know is a beautiful um, mm-hmm. photography website where. The photographers have essentially released the, their their claim to these photos, and you could use them even for a commercial purpose. So you can create derivative works based on these works. You don't have to. I mean, some require you to give attribution, and some don't, just in, as a term of using the photographs on the site. So it will depend site by site, but generally speaking... You know, on, there are some really great sites out there where photographers have released their rights to these photos. And then, yes, you would be safe to, um, you know, 
register these works as your own, depending again on what the terms of use of those websites say. Now, how does that work if another artist is using the same photo? Theirs is going to look almost exact to mine. Are we both going to be able to get copyrights off ours that have minor, minor differences? It'll, it'll, it would come down to those minor, minor differences. I mean, yes, yeah. the, the copyright office does not, when they're registered, when you're registering a work with the copyright office, they are not searching to see whether yours infringes on another's. Mm-hmm. So um, if there were a fight between you and someone else that created a derivative work off of that same photograph, um, then yes, it would come down to substantial similarity in those little tiny details. Yeah. But I mean, but the the problem would be if if you copied the work of the photo and then another person copied the work of that photo, if there was a problem between you and the original photographer, the copyright office would look at still the original. You wouldn't be competing against there wouldn't be any kind of conflict between two artists that are copying from the same photo if they're if they have that permission would, from that yeah, i would have thought it would be the, the two artists just because i had so i have artists that will come to me saying this person did the same thing as you and i'm like no we just use the same reference photo it's okay <laughs> yeah 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 fair use is so hard because you have all of those factors i mean yeah. um if there if there is a specific case you know i had a client once that was creating um a, a lot of artwork and she had um postcards that she was creating and selling in a series. And there basically what I did was, you know, spot legal, potential legal issues, um, in terms of, you know, there was, if there was a trademark appearing in the photo or, you know, a a building, um, a famous building or things like that, you know, things that are Mm -hmm. so factually specific that I can look at something and say, okay, yes, I can provide you generally, following these fair use rules, um, what the analysis would look like. But fair use is so hard to speak to yeah. um, in kind of general terms because, it, because it's that balancing test. That would be good if we could, if we could talk about contracts uh, for sure. just a second. Yeah, absolutely. So there are a few different types of contracts that an artist, uh, with, with, with which an artist should be familiar. So work for hire, assignment, and license. Um, work for hire and assignment kind of speak to ownership. So um, a work for hire is where a contracting party, so so let's say I am contracting someone to create a mural in my house or I'm contracting mm-hmm. someone to create um, artwork to include in an invitation for an event I'm throwing. That's kind of your typical contractor situation where I'm, or, or a commission, I guess, is, is a more common way to, to describe right. it, you know, a commissioned piece. Mm-hmm. Um, where really the contracting party wants to own the, that piece of artwork. A work for hire is not valid in terms of speaking to ownership unless it's in writing. You cannot transfer copyright ownership unless it's in writing. So okay. I, I can pay you for a commissioned piece and we walk away, but if, if it's not in writing, you have not transferred your copyright to me. So the artist still owns that copyright. Correct. Yeah. Okay. That's that, something that I makes hear a lot, lot too. P- people who are commissioned to do portraits and such, and yeah. they feel like when they've sold it or sold any painting that they've given up their copyright, that that person can now make prints um, versus the original artist. They think, or people think that they bought a painting so they can make prints of it just because they purchased it. 
Ah, I'm so glad so we're talking in, about this then, because that's yeah. not the case. You, just by selling a piece of artwork, you are not giving up your copyright. You still own that copyright and the, the derivative works uh, that may be produced from it. So, the, so work for hire and assignment are different because work for hire basically transfers, uh, says that this, the contracting party, the person commissioning the work, owns that mm-hmm. artwork from inception. An assignment is a transfer of ownership from one person to another. So let's say you've created this beautiful piece of artwork. You created it two years ago. And someone is purchasing it now, and they say, oh, by the way, I want the copyright in this artwork as well. Number one, that has to be in, in writing in order to be valid. But number two, you know, it's kind of different from the scenario where it was a commissioned work and you're, you're contracting mm-hmm. to transfer the copyright versus an assignment, which is just transferring the copyright ownership. Um, and then a license is different, again, because a license does not speak to ownership. It speaks to one of those rights in the bundle of rights. So it's a great way for an artist to gain exposure without incurring the cost and connection with, you know, maybe manufacturing a product. But maybe you have an original piece of artwork that would be great for coasters or a lampshade or pillowcase or something, but Mm -hmm. you do not make coasters, you do not make lampshades. Um, A license would kind of be the way to facilitate the making of those products that are based on your artwork. And that's limited, isn't it, in its scope? I mean, just to the reproduction for whatever use it's going to be licensed for, is that correct? It should be limited, yes. Uh Um, Okay. So so an artist should take care to make sure, you know, attach an image of the artwork that's being licensed, make it very clear this is the only thing that's being licensed, make it very clear that, you know, you can only do so in connection with this particular product, you can't create any derivative works off of this original artwork, you can't do, you can't use it in connection with any other products. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That makes sense. That's actually really, really useful information for artists who are selling their work or letting people use it for, you know, CD covers or both of of those. So, yeah. Yeah, there are some artists that, I mean, that's that's their main bread and butter. I mean, Mm. they, or one of their big side uh, gigs is uh, licensing. So, Mm -hmm. very good to know. No matter what, they should, they should still be able to, there should be a provision and a license that allows you to be, to still display that work in your you know, as an example of your artwork mm-hmm. in a portfolio, you know, online or otherwise. Right, right. This has really been a good discussion, Maria. I really appreciate mm-hmm. you coming on. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. All right. Well, if you guys want to check out the show notes, uh, we take all those notes for you over there at sharpenedartist.com slash podcast. And you can probably just type in Maria and her show notes will pop right up. And a link to her website and uh, contact information uh, for her there. And if you want to continue the discussion, you can head on over to Facebook and post your question in the Colored Pencil Podcast group. If you like the show, um, go ahead and subscribe to the show. That way you'll get the next episode will be delivered to you automatically. You can leave us a rating and review in iTunes. We would appreciate that. You can contact us, podcast at sharpenedartist.com. And we will talk to you guys again next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. All the show notes can be found at www.sharpenedartist.com. Bye.